1: Theater and the visual arts. This is the Working Artist Project.
0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Good evening, and welcome to the Working Artist Project. My name is Darian Douglas, and tonight I'm back again with the one and only Gregory Aji. What up, Greg?
3: What's up, Darian? How are
0: oh, you? I'm great, man. Everything's great. And uh, what's today? Today is Monday. Happy Monday, bro. Happy Monday.
3: Let, let me just say for the record, I, I know um, I'm a diehard New Orleans Saints fan, oh. and I have conceded that Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback <laughs> of all time. You know what? I just, uh, you know, I, and I hope maybe we can sign him next year and win a Super Bowl. <laughs> just forget it. Whatever. You
0: know, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a Lakers only kind of guy, man. So I, I don't even know who Tom Brady is, man. I don't know what the Super Bowl is. But I did eat chicken wings yesterday, but I don't know what that
3: means. Woo! <laughs> you better watch, man. You gotta watch out for the Pelicans, too, man. Cause they're oh, they're yeah. coming. Three-game win streak. We're man, on
0: I, we're on fire, man. See, there you go. Adding and subtracting again, man. Three games. <laughs> and that's the perfect segue to talk about tonight's, <laughs> tonight's guest, who uh is a mathematician. Uh also, he can probably help you out with your stocks. He can also write you a song. He might can even build you a house, man. And uh, we're we're very very excited to have the one and only Marcus in the crib tonight, and uh, he he's gonna hey there he is what's up Marcus what's happening man <laughs> hey Marcus everything's good man how yeah, doing I'm good I'm good and we was we was just about to uh. Until you came in here, we was going to make some jokes about you, but, you know, you, you just barged in on us So <laughs> <laughs>
2: Now, nah, you can say it. Nah, I love <laughs> jokes. I, I want to hear jokes. Y'all got jokes? I love jokes. Uh, don't worry. Greg
0: <laughs> is going to at least tell one joke tonight. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> but, yeah, bro, it's good to have you here, man. Um, you're, you're an interesting person because you did something unbelievable. Uh, you, you were a hedge fund guy who decided to give it all up, to pursue a career in jazz
2: yeah (laughs) yeah why would you do something like that (laughs) um so you know i was i was uh i was always playing music as a kid um i always had kind of two loves which were music and math um my father was an accountant and uh and he was you know doing his uh you know i grew up for a while it was just me and him so i remember he was doing his business degree and uh and you know his executive MBAs you know going on nights and weekends and he would sit me on his lap and like all right cool we're doing these bond valuations right quick like you're doing this map I'm in fourth grade he's like nah it's fine that 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 weird looking e. that's a sigma that means you would add everything it's good um and uh but he also played the, the saxophone um in college so from him I got these kind of two passions and influences and was kind of nurtured um Came time for college, and I ended up going to Harvard um, because all of my music mentors said, "Man, you can play. You're gonna go into debt messing around with jazz school. <laughs> Your grades are good. Like, man, go, go, go to go to you know school school." And um and I didn't like math at the time because I got in a, a argument with a sixth grade teacher, and you know I was kind of being a brat about it, but um <laughs> but You know, once I got there um, and I had fun freshman year, but when I figured I was going to take it seriously starting sophomore year, I said, you know what, I really want to learn math because when am I ever going to be able to learn this stuff again? You know, if I'm interested in history or literature, I can read so I can pick up a book. But like math or theoretical physics or computer science, like I probably want to be trained in that because that's a really hard language. So uh, so, I got into that. I did some math research uh, in one summer, and you know, we solved the, a few unsolved problems and published a paper. We got to present at some conferences, but then I realized, like, I don't really want to spend my whole twenties in a library. And I went to New York, you know, after my research was done. And I see all my friends, you know, on Wall Street, and they hanging out. They got fly shoes, there's models everywhere. Like, I'm like, <laughs> what, what is this? <laughs> Amen. I never thought about finance in my life, but, you know, I had the math degree. So I just kind of, you know, I walked into some interviews and say, hey, I'm I'm really good at math. So, you know, maybe we can make some work. And, um, and I ended up working at this fund. As,
0: bro, that, you know what, though, you know, you got me at models, man. You know, I might have. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, man, I should have paid more attention, you know, in, in trigonometry, bro, because.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I guess I guess it just like leads me to one of my favorite quotes. I love to tell my students, yo, it doesn't matter what you're good at. You just, just be the best at whatever it is that you do. And you're going to be all right in that department (laughs) when it comes to, when it comes to the bread and the, uh, the extracurricular things. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: So you go to Harvard, you figure out you're a math genius, and then you stumble up on wall street and, and what, what was it like working in wall street? Was it, what was it like?
2: Well, the problem with that was, you know, it was, well, first off, it was really interesting. And I'll tell you why Mm -hmm. I started in 2008, Uh, So I was sitting on Wall Street uh, on September 19th when all the markets crashed and I'm watching all the charts go crazy. I'm watching all the interest rates, you know, plummet. I'm watching, uh, I'm I'm hearing all the crazy calls with counterparties and this and that. And so I kind of felt like Forrest Gump because I'm like sitting in the middle of history, like a little bit on accident. Cause I'm, you know, I'm just doing my thing. Um, And it was really interesting because I got to get that perspective on the world. Um, which is very particular, you know. It very, very, very much talks about the world being um, dominated by capital flows. Okay. Why do things happen in history? Why do things cap? Why do things happen in culture? What is kind of the fundamentally most important, uh, um, I guess, operation of human society? Well, it's it's the economy. In that mm-hmm. worldview, it's generating capital and it's moving capital around. Um, and it was interesting to hear that perspective. Um, it was also interesting to see the the people. So not only did I work at a hedge fund, but I worked at Bridgewater. Ray Dalio is now really famous and uh, he's kind of like a popular yeah, icon. I know all about Ray um, Dalio. Yeah, mm-hmm, yeah.
0: Uh, mm-hmm.
1: yeah.
2: So, uh, so we had a, a copy of the principles back then, and it was just like a PDF that he sent out to the company with mad typos in it and all this mm-hmm. stuff. So we, you know, been up on that for a while. Um, and, and so, Hearing the Bridgewater perspective and worldview versus the you know regular Wall Street perspective and worldview. Cause the interesting thing about Bridgewater people, especially the people at the top, is it's not like a Gordon Gecko kind of energy. Hmm. It's very principled, it's very humble. Matter of fact, um, I got cool with so the the number two guy in the company, Bob Prince, is a jazz fan. Matter of fact, um when I was interviewing, or after I had already gotten the, the, the gig, they took us out to a, a party in New York and there was you know, mingle, meet everybody in the company and I'm hanging out with, with, uh, with the number two guy in the company. And uh, he heard I played the saxophone. So he's like, who's your favorite? I'm like, I was a James Carter head at that time. It was one of my favorites, huge influence on me. So I'm like, man, James Carter. He's like, really? Oh man. And we start chopping it up. And you know, right. at these cocktail parties, you're supposed to talk for, to people for like 20 minutes and then keep it pushing. Right. We're talking for like a straight up hour. Wow. And, um, and so I got, I got close to him and I'm actually, you know, still, still cool with him to this day. Um, but, uh, but, you know, in, in seeing him up close and seeing what his values were, seeing how he dealt with his family, seeing how, you know, he, his concept of, you know, being a player in the markets, trading assets, um, wire capital flows interesting. It was a real passion. It wasn't just I want to make the most money out of everybody. Mm. It was like, nah, I really care about how the world works, and I feel like this is the way that the world operates.
3: Okay. Um, but the can thing I, about go ahead. Can I ask you though? Like, you know, I, I guess as a as a jazz musician, part of like the stereotype, or just as a musician in general, we have a lot of like fighting the establishment kind of vibe, and mm-hmm. and we look down on on money and, and things like that. But can you talk <laughs> about the principles that that you were kind of referring to that that again, like that that drove the company, and then like. Like from like a, from again, like from a stock perspective or like a, an economics perspective, like, is it all evil? Like, what's the, what's the vibe on that? The man, okay, we could do this. So here's what inspired <laughs> me about. <laughs> I gotta is, know.
2: <laughs> no, here's what inspired me about working for Bridgewater. So the other thing that, that Bridgewater gets is it's a cult. There's like, everything is, everybody's being this crazy monitoring and surveillance. And, and, you know, they, they talk to you a kind of way. And what I'll say is that the, what inspired me about Bob and Ray was they really, really love what they're doing. They were talking about, uh, they would do this when they had, they had, yeah, they were recounting a story. They had no clients. They were driving to their first client. The car was broke down. It was, you know, the muffler was jacked up. It was spewing black smoke out the back. Um, and, you know, they were really hoping that this client would, you know, like their investment ideas, but there was just real... It's the same way when musicians talk about music. There's this real passion and love for the thing, and that inspired me to leave the hedge fund because I'm like, man, moving capital, for, moving capital around the world is not what I super care about. And seeing that they built this, you know, remarkable company, um, off the strength of that passion, mm-hmm. inspired me to say, well, I, I want to do this with music. Mm-hmm. I would say that kind of the other things is. You get if you watch movies like American Psycho, or you watch movies like um, Wall Street. You know Gordon Gecko and Bud Fox, or Wolf of Wall Street, or things like this. Um, or maybe if you hang with some some certain Wall Street cats, you know, down at the gig, or um, you know, you play and you you know meet people around, especially New York City. They are hanging out. You you you'll get a kind of impression about how people think about the world, how people operate, and certainly from the news. Um, if you don't know the people. Um, Purely, but you know how the companies move, and you kind of say, "Well, the values of the companies are reflective of the value of the people." There's this idea that you know all of it is is pretty evil, and you know they don't care about regular people, and all they care about is money, and that's the only thing that's important. And I think that that's true in some cases, um, but I think that you start to get around people and you see how people hold the thing differently. Mm. Um, These these people in particular, I was just impressed by. how much they cared about their family, what the, the the kids weren't spoiled, the kids weren't running around wilding. Like the they they you know the like manners, etiquette, culture, um, genuine love for each other, hmm. the way they dealt with members of their family who weren't necessarily as rich. Cause I, you know, um some I, I got invited to like one of the Christmas parties on a regular, you know, like the the just the way they spoke to people, the the kind of like the religion in particular, you know, in some of the cases. It was just like this is a whole human being, um, and that's something that one can be extraordinarily successful and you can still be a whole human being, which is not at all what you see if you consider, you know, New York Times, uh, New York Times or Mother Jones articles about Goldman Sachs, or if yeah. you, you know, look at, you know, some of the movies or media that I mentioned, or you go around some people who are just super greedy and sociopathic and like hold that energy. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't everybody And that's something that I took And once again really inspired me to do music Because it's like well I want to be a whole human being Like being a billionaire is nice But like at this time when I have When I still have time to create you know What I want my life to be Like whole human being sounds good And frankly when I was working there I was not a whole human being (laughs)
1: Like
2: I I will say that uh, I remember Two weeks in I could see my reflection From behind the Excel spreadsheet And it was like yo bro what are you doing you're a musician. You don't need to be here. And I, you know, my response to him was like, man, shut up. We're making money. Shut up. Like, don't, don't, don't say that. But eventually he won out because I was just, I was just super dysfunctional. I was dark. I was depressed. I was wilding out. Like, I can tell you a really funny story. This is one time I was driving home from, from work and I was so angry, man. I didn't know, I didn't even understand why I was so angry, but I was so dark inside, man. And I was just, I just started rolling through, you know, this, this very wealthy, White neighborhood in Connecticut with dipset all the way up, like hoping that the cop hope like suicide by cop, like hoping wow. that would happen, like hoping, hoping an incident would happen. Wow. I was wilding out. And and you know, but like watching them, you know, they were full, whole human beings. Um, and that really inspired me to to figure out how I could do that for myself. Yeah. It's interesting that that you got into that situation
0: and found that that drive to do the thing that you were put on earth to do. And you didn't let the money, like Greg was alluding to, which I think a lot of people do, corrupt their sense of self. Mm-hmm. And and so that speaks volumes to the type of person uh, that you are and, and maybe the people who raised you to to put value in a place that it should be and not get caught up in, uh, you know, a new Ferrari,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, because I think models like musicians too, so
3: yeah yeah (laughs) 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 it's a different (laughs) yeah but you know well we're you know like again like talking about the two worlds of music and finance i definitely would love to dig more into finance but like what are some basic things that like you know like through your experience in in dealing with the market and math and things like that like what are some basic things musicians can do to um you know to get into the market or at least like financially set themselves up like, is there any advice that, that you can you can bestow upon us? Well, see the problem with working for a multi-billion
2: dollar hedge fund is it doesn't really scale to if you don't have billions of dollars. Like they can make market moves and we would take on positions and we would look at risk in a certain way because, um, because there was so much in the fund. And I found that um, most of the kind of inside baseball uh, wouldn't really work if you're scaled down. And a lot of it is, well, they're also tracking the markets every day. So the advice is with respect to what's going on in the world at that time. But I will say one of the big pieces of advice um, and one of the, one of the yeah, one of the big things that stuck with me, which is advice from, uh, from you know some of the, the higher ups, was um, like avoid debt like the plague. Debt is mm. when, when you when you go into debt, you're borrowing from your income tomorrow, except you don't know how much you're gonna make tomorrow. <laughs> and you're going to have to pay it back. Hmm. So, um so I mean in addition to my family, you know, they put a healthy fear of of like wanting debt in me. And and for me it's like I've always been I've always tried to keep, you know, my credit card bills or my keep my credit card uh really low. Um, you know, like go without figure out cheaper ways to do things so that I don't have to go into debt. If I'm going to, uh, if I'm going to go into debt, like make sure it really means something. If I can't really just buy something outright with cash, then wait a week and see if I still want it a week later. Yeah. Um, and that's just general rules of thumb. But, uh, but yeah. Yeah. That's, that's That's great advice. advice, (laughs) It's Great advice. And and I think
0: you're sitting, it's funny enough. You're sitting here with two people who are completely debt free and, Mm -hmm. Which is unheard of in any yeah. profession uh now. But that's why me and Greg are friends, you know. Right. Cause cause for me too, it's the same with debt, you know. Like I, I live by the rule if I can't buy five of them with cash, I can't afford it. So I don't buy it. <laughs> and it's just, you know, yes. just keep it. I just try to keep it funky like that. One one thing that you we haven't gotten to is that you use your mathematical powers for good. And you 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 found a way to merge math and music, more so than the common way of us just counting. And and you do do that through education. And before you talk about it, I would like to show our audience um, a little clip of some things that you've done, because you're famous, it's a TED Talk. It ain't at <laughs> it, it. It ain't at uh, a High School in uh, Topeka, <laughs> Kansas. So <laughs>
2: they got good chicken fingers at Chalawaska, bro. Right. <laughs> that looks like your point.
3: Where's Chalawaska at? I made I, it up. I made it up. <laughs> now, let, me t- let me tell you, man. Watch out. There's some high school. I've been to some high schools that have like nicer performing arts theaters than performing arts theaters. Yes, yeah. there <laughs> it,
0: it is. Let's go ahead and let's go ahead and play this video and uh, y'all get a vibe on
2: what Marcus can do. So this gets even better. If I were to dump all of the fractions into my existing set of integers, I get a new set that mathematicians call the rational numbers and denote with this special Q. And it turns out that the size of the rational numbers is also aleph null. This is absurd, of course, you're thinking to yourself. There are an infinite number of fractions just between zero and one, one half, one third, one fourth, one fifth, et cetera. Surely this must be a larger size. This must be a set of a larger size. Well, let's see if we can find a rule that associates all of my rational numbers to all of my natural numbers. If so, then they would be in fact be the same size. Now, we're talking about fractions, and fractions are really just one number on top of another, a numerator on top of a denominator. And so I'm going to write all my numerators horizontally and all my denominators vertically, and that's going to give me a grid. And this grid, in this grid, in each box, what I'm going to write is all of the fractions that they create. There are some redundancies, right? some of them reduce, don't worry about that, it doesn't cause us a problem. What we do want to do is we want to find a rule that associates all of these rationals to all of our natural numbers, and this rule has to do two things. First, it has to enumerate all of the rationals. right? We want to say which box is first, second, third, fourth, fifth, because that matches up with our natural numbers, one, two, three, four, five. Right? The other thing we need to do is we need to make sure that we cover every number in the grid. We have to get everything, we can't leave anything out. So how do we do this? Oh, I know, draw a counting snake. All right, so here's a counting snake. Um, it's clear that if you, know, you were to let this counting snake go forever on this grid, we would cover the whole grid, and we can enumerate the boxes in the order that the counting snake eats them. So, all right, so uh, in that way we can say that once again, the natural numbers account for all of the rational numbers. Now, if I just lost you again, (laughs) what I basically just told you is that infinity times infinity is infinity, (laughs) right? Your eight-year-old is going to love this because that's how little kids talk, and that's also cool, so I'm going to play another blues riff.
0: (laughs) So infinity times infinity is infinity. And that's, and <laughs> yeah, everybody, if, if, you, if you get a minute, uh, get on Google and YouTube and, and find that video because it's a 20 minute video and Marcus kind of explains the different ways infinity works, you know what I mean? And, it, and it's, it's really mind blowing and it's also very easy to understand at least parts of it, you know, and, and how did you
2: come up with that concept of, of teaching? There's something you learn as a musician. You just know how to be on stage. You can read the energy. You can kind of improvise. And for me, it's like there are certain modes that I can go into that it almost doesn't matter necessarily what I play. It's still like the thing that I'm pushing out, if I'm aligned with my instrument enough, is going to create a reaction. It's going to do something. And I realized that I can use that energy while um, writing, like writing the words, like when I was actually, you know, constructing that, that talk. Um, and the first time I realized I could do it specifically with math, I was at a house party um, with my my then manager. Uh, she had she had some event going on at a crib, and it was the the name of the event was like uh, like brain pickings or something like not brain pickings, but it was something like that. And everybody was just kind of standing up and telling stories. And I just kind of showed up after, uh, after rehearsal for this church that I play at with, uh, with some of the church heads. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to say something. And so I went up and improvised like a version of that talk because I, I know the math well enough that I can just talk through it. And the way people were just like, whoa. I'm like, yo, I could do that with math. All right. That, like, let me let me expand this. Um, and that kind of turned into uh, and, and that skill kind of got honed. Um, when I was working with the National Museum of Mathematics, I had a residency there for a couple of years. Um, and I would just be talking about different mathematical concepts to audiences, to uh, to um, the special guests that we brought, which included like Nobel Prize winners and and like, you know, award winning musicians. So Elu was a uh, was uh, came through one time. Um, we had Mark Gross come through. We had a, we had a couple of like high level classical musicians come through. um, And, um, and, you know, I developed it there. And then also, uh, you know, I teach at a, uh, at a Saturday program for um, very gifted math students in New York city. And I taught there for a couple of years. I stopped because I was touring too much and couldn't be consistent. But since pandemic hit, I've been teaching there again. And so there's this way of the same energy you have on stage when you know you can play with the audiences. It's like spirit that's sitting over the 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 audience or the people and you just interact with that directly it's the same energy yeah that makes sense man because one
0: thing I've noticed about you is you're 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 a great storyteller and so for people like you it's easy to to marry things and to to have a hodgepodge of of you know what I'm gonna do I'm gonna teach people math and music at the same time and they gonna like it and right. so <laughs> that's that's difficult man but you you've pulled it off and also when you make it to a TEDx stage, not once but twice. Uh, that's that's unbelievable, man. That's unbelievable. So so kudos to you for that, brother. Oh yeah,
2: no, it was a fun time, <laughs> fun time. Yeah, it was a uh, it was actually a uh, Elu brought me to my first TED. He brought me to the full TED summit, the big one in Edinburgh, Scotland.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh and I, he he probably don't mind if I tell this story. Um, there was a uh, he wanted to do so. He'd done several TED things before. And he wanted to do something different because, you know, he was, he uh, like one of the greatest geniuses in our tradition alive right now. And, um, and, you know, he would study to get the, his, his piano technique, which is pretty singular. He used to study um, anatomy books and read white papers about psychology um, and about the way the brain interacts with the hands and understands like, the, the differences, the like neurological differences in each finger and that kind of thing. But he, but usually when he's on, you know, Ted stages and various things, he's just playing piano. He's like, nah, they need to know, they need to know that, you know, I got this other thing going on. And he's like, Marcus, I want to, I want to do this with you. Cause you got the, you got the physics side. I got the neuro neuroscience side, like, let's go in on them. And so he brought me to the first, uh, the, the, the big Ted stage at Edinburgh. Um, and then, you know, I met with some people and, you know, They wanted to hear more about math and music specifically.
0: Hmm. Oh, okay. So that's kind of, it's kind of, it's how it works. It's kind of a community and they see. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. I was wondering about that.
3: Yeah, man. That's like, you know, I know, I know this is like, this is something I hear from a lot of non-musicians, but I feel like there's always this like idea that like, you know, musicians just walk up on stage and, Magic happens, right? And it's just like, how do you do that? And, and it's man, it's like I, I love having these conversations with people like yourself, and, and hearing the story about Ilu, and just you know, some these musicians are some of the most like well-rounded people, like curious people, and they know so many amazing things about, like which you know, talking about psychology and and yourself as a, as a incredible mathematician. It's like. Man, it's 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 crazy to, like how the whole brain and how everything, you know, melds together. Like, like again in your presentation, you know, one of the first things I noticed was how charismatic and how, you know, you had the the audience like at your fingertips, just in the same way like I when I first met you when you were playing. You, you just had that captivating thing. And
1: thank you, man. Um,
3: but you know, maybe like kind of going back into like the, the idea of math, man. Could you like talk about like why, like why is it important for a young person to Get into math, like what is the value of, you know, math? And then I would love to hear your opinion on why it's important for a young person to be into music, also.
2: All right, well, I answer the I answer the the second question first because there's the, the uh, you you'll see. Um, math and music are places where you can be creative. they are places where um, there's enough structure and enough tradition and enough history. Um, but enough freedom and openness for you to really dig into how your own mind works. In both situations, in order to do this well, you have to have a mental image of how everything works. You know, if you're composing a piece, you have to, maybe you don't know how it sounds exactly, but you have to know how, like, the shapes of the rhythms and the colors of the chords, all that kind of interact. Or if you're writing, you know, maybe you're writing counterpoint. It's the same thing. Like, you have to have some kind of internal reference point. And you want to develop that same thing if you're doing math, right? If you look at an equation, you want to have an internal reference point for how it can be solved. And if you're looking at the world, you might want to, you you'll need to have an internal reference point for how you could write it out as an equation, having those kinds of things, like having that kind of mastery of your own mind to be able to take, um, whatever and interpret it into your own body, and then to be able to execute and have that reciprocal relationship, I think is one of the most important, like grounding, Deep, like spiritual things, one can do. If you ju- if everything is just mental, then it's kind of weak. It's thin. If everything is just physical, well, there's not necessarily enough imagination to be able to take it forward. And if things aren't structured enough and they're mental, then stuff can get crazy, and you don't actually gain anything. It, you can't distinguish when something is brilliant from when something is dumb as hell. Um, and so, math and music, in particular, have enough structure that uh, that you can be. Um, that you can distinguish brilliance, right, in a variety of traditions, whether it's from, like, a Western classical compositional tradition, whether it's from, uh, whether it's dealing with the the energy, like, the rhythm and the, the tradition of, like, New Orleans music, um, whether it's dealing with something from West Africa, whether it's dealing with something from India, each of these traditions have uh, enough boxes and parameters around them that you can be genuinely creative. And the same is true with math. Um, as far as math goes, I think, I think, you know, people should get into math because I, I guess, uh, okay, quick plug. Um, I did an interview. I, I, I'm also, I'm hosting my own podcast. It's called The Poolside Polymaths. It's with my home girl. She's the quantum ballerina. She got a, a PhD in quantum optics from Oxford and like dances with national ballet companies around the world. Like she's a beast. Cool. Um, And we actually have our second episode coming out tomorrow with Neil deGrasse Tyson. We did an interview with him. Wow. And, yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> right. And so one of the things he talked about when we interviewed him was, you know, if you go to a party and, you know, you might say, hey, I'm a mathematician or I'm a physicist. People are like, I don't know that. And it's like, cool, you get points off or you get neck off of like not knowing numbers that good. But if you went to a party, be like, yeah, so that reading stuff, yeah, I don't really read like that. I don't know how to read. Like, <laughs> that's weird. Like, it's like, wait, what? <laughs> like, like that would get awkward and dark. And I feel like having a basic association and skill set. With numbers, just makes for a a wiser, more educated, more powerful, more like integrated population. Especially if in the in the society that we're dealing with, it's it's important. People lie to you so much with numbers. Um, uh, you can you can mark improvement and development so much with numbers that if you have a working understanding of um a basic understanding of how they work intuitively, as well as know something about statistics, um. As, you know, something, yeah, something about statistics. If you're interested in science or engineering, something about calculus so that you can just read and understand these ideas as they're put forth and not rely on somebody to translate for you in case that person doesn't have your best interests in mind, or in case, in a, which is true in a lot of cases, people will hide all the good stuff behind math and create a club that you aren't allowed into. This is particularly the case, or one could, one, this is, I think, felt, um, although I don't know that it's the 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 case explicitly, but it's definitely felt like within the African American community, where it's like, you know i I, I have a, a one of my mentors is is a black mathematician at Princeton. and you know he does a great job of networking everybody together, you know, all the black mathematicians know each other. And it's like the degree to which, you know, there are, we can make this more popular. We can make more of us means that, like, we just have ends in different parts of society where we're typically excluded, perhaps like finance, quant- uh, quantitative finance, right? Um, but the reality is that both math and music are really hard. You got to spend a lot of time, you got to spend a lot of hours, and you can, and these are both things that you can spend a lot of time and a lot of hours and actually end up not being so good. Like, mm. There has to also be an orientation, a talent, an extraordinary level of work ethic, and so I would say that math isn't necessary. Math at a high level isn't necessarily for everybody. Music at a high level isn't necessarily for everybody. But I think that um, all of these, like I said, are pointing to a kind of central locus of human creativity that I would like to believe everybody has access to. I don't know if everybody actually really has access to this thing, but um, but it's important to find something that allows you to. Both hone your mind so that you can understand structure and balance and these things that are important, um, as well as be creative and develop, you know, the internal representations necessary to take you forward so you can associate with the world in a deeper um, and more free way.
3: And I, I love that. I love that. Man, I'm sorry, I just can I just follow up one one real quick yeah. thing. I, I love that answer so much because it, it hits on so many different levels. Um, but maybe like, you know, just just I, I'm just out of curiosity. Um, you know, I'm sure you're not sitting around, like, doing, like, just math for the sake of doing math. Like, what, like, how does, like, this, this deep knowledge and understanding of math, like, translate into, like, our day-to-day life that we're not even, like, in the same way that, like, some people are not, we're not even aware of, like, how much music impacts our day-to-day life, you know? Yeah.
2: Yeah. All right. Well, so I am sitting around doing math for fun. I got, <laughs> I got a general <laughs> relativity textbook on my bed. I took a, uh, I took a grad in the second and in, uh, in the fall in the pandemic, I took a grad graduate school class in um, this course called differential geometry, which is a whole thing that that's a whole nother follow up question. Um, here's where math is useful. A lot of the ideas from higher mathematics aren't really useful in everyday life. If I'm being completely honest with you. Mm-hmm. And um, and frankly, the math that one needs to live. A full and, and enriched life just isn't necessarily that high. But what I will say is that the way that math is taught now is you're dealing with um identifying and manipulating patterns, which is something which is kind of a meta-skill, and you're dealing with pure logic. So math at when, when you get to like college-level math and theoretical mathematics, you're doing proofs. You might have seen proofs in geometry where it's like, we assume that this is true. Um, If this is true, then this is true. If this is true, then this is true. And you just kind of go down the line till you get to your conclusion. And advanced math is pretty much like that, except the things that you're playing around with are more abstract. They might be harder to conceptualize. They behave in interesting or weird ways. But being able to have that kind of mastery of logic is super important. Mostly because you could be, you could tell when people are bullshitting you. <laughs> like, no, that's false. <laughs> like, I, I've I've tried to solve that problem before. That you're trying to convince me that you solved. That's not how you do it, bro. Like, <laughs> so um, so you get, you know, it's it's very nice to uh to have. I, I would say that's one of the aspects where, you know, pure math um is important as a training ground for logic. And once you have that logic, you can jump into lots of things. The downfall of it is that. It, everything that's logic, it's logical in such a way that it's linear. So things that don't necessarily, things that aren't able to be expressed linearly, like a vibe, um, those are like math can actually like mess with that a little bit. Like if you're thinking too mathematically, and we see this in the music community where people are like too gassed on um, theory that that's how we talk about it. It's like that person sound like they just got out of music school and they live no life. And, you know, and, and, but, and they know all the theory and it's, everything is correct but like it has no energy. And you could go up and cut them with like one note with like one long tone that's played with soul. And it's like, everybody forgot about who they are. And, you know, and so like the the linear thing and the mathematical training doesn't really help that. Um, But for all the things that are logical and can be expressed linearly, like math is A1. Mm -hmm.
0: I do say, I'm glad you brought music up and I want to pivot real quick for the rest of the show to your music career. And yeah, uh, you got a brand new song out called The Internet yeah and it's it's, it's, nice. it's dope it's dope it's dope it's dope <laughs> and we, we're gonna play it a little bit later later on um, okay but I do want to talk about kind of your upbringing like not necessarily your upbringing but just how you got proficient at the saxophone yeah uh at the same time as reading you know all these books about physics you know
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs> um Man, so like I said, my father was uh, my father played the saxophone in college, so that meant in fourth grade when they were handing out instruments, we didn't have to buy an instrument. We just went up to the attic, took it to the repairman, and you know we could, we were good to go. And actually, that happened before the first day of school. So he got me a little method book, and in August we were going through t- teaching me basic scales. I, I think I knew uh, walked into the first day of school knowing how to play tequila um and okay. that made the band director think oh man he's really good but you know it's not that hard the that 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 and it's B flat like <laughs> you know um so uh so uh so you know band director thought i was good and he started giving me extra lessons and i just kind of maintained the 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 distance um and i was and i grew up my town of south orange new jersey is uh where i grew up is a place where a lot of musicians live. Um, in, in I guess, that generation in the 80s and 90s, it was one of the towns that once cats got enough money um, to move out of the city, because they were tired of that nonsense, but still wanted to be near it and be in the energy, they would move to my town. So um, Don Braden lives in my town. Uh, I went to school with uh, uh, Thelonious Monk's grandkids. TS, um, of course, lived in the town. Claudio Roditi, John Lee, um, Dion Warwick, um, lots of people, you know, are, were, were in that area. And so there are a lot of robust music programs. You might have heard one of the programs that's getting a lot of neck right now is Jazz House Kids. Um, and so that didn't exist when I was coming up. But um, a lot of the faculty formed programs that were around when I was a kid. So, you know, the, the program evolved and it, went, it got under, you know, Christian McBride and Melissa Walker's leadership eventually, but it's like the same crew of teachers, the same people we would see around the New Jersey. I, I also uh, participated in the New Jersey Pack Jazz for Teens program. So there was a lot of the music um, in my area and I got a chance to play and perform a lot of jam sessions and, you know, started gigging with a band. Uh, and this band was really crazy. There was a a guitarist who was super into Hendrix. It was a gospel drummer and it was this cat, Eric Hudson on piano who, uh, who had a, a a really dope career as a producer. He produced flashing lights for Kanye. He was a prodigy. He played like every instrument, like real well. And his father, uh, produced uh, like holiday for Madonna. Um, and like had a whole band in the eighties and that kind of thing. So the band had all these different musical influences. We just hang out with each other and, and, and shared. And, um, and so yeah that that that's that's what the come up was like wow that's that's insane
3: man that's
0: yeah. insane and I guess you're really lucky to be in that environment and it's funny because a lot of saxophone players come out of New Jersey and and it's like y'all was all coming up together trying to get as killing as you could and and, I, and one thing i've noticed is all the New Jersey saxophone players in our generation are very unique which is hard to do in New York City believe it or not
2: yeah. Well, you know, a lot of us, because we is growing up together, we was fighting. We was like, now nah, you're not about to be the most killing on Saturday. I'm about to come for your neck. And, and it was, it was really amazing because, uh, I'll shout out my brothers, Anthony Ware and Erwin Hall, Absolutely. um, who, who are like, who are like, you know, we, 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 three of us like really, really grew up together. And in, in, in that healthy competition, what showed up was like, we each were aware of our limitations. You know, it's like, there was something that Erwin could do that you no, know, if I practiced that, I wasn't going to get at his level, so I had to just find my own style <laughs> in order to combat it. Or because if I tried to play his way, then I would look stupid, I get played on Saturday, I wasn't gonna let that happen. <laughs> so, um, and then same thing with Anthony, Anthony would just come at it from like a whole nother perspective. It's like, whoa, what is that? I can't even mess with that, but I'm gonna learn from it. Like, it, it just forces you to go harder. So, yeah, with especially with the three of us, um, that, that was. I don't know if it was part of the plan, but it's definitely one of the emerging phenomena that came out of that.
0: Absolutely. I love that, man. But let's go ahead, if you don't mind, Greg, let's go ahead and play uh, this tune by Marcus Miller, the saxophone player uh, called The Internet.
1: I'll never fall in love again. You know I don't have to. Cause girl, I got the internet. The internet. The internet. The internet. The She the, the, the type of girl to post pictures of herself online. Clothes on clothes all in the same post. Calls herself a feminist. Well, I think feminism just fine. We all get naked sometime. That's how the game goes tender A trending topic on Twitter Why would I fall in love with her When I got like 50 of her own Instagram I got the internet, the internet, the internet, the internet, the internet. Love takes time and patience. Online is instantaneous. Control for complications. You find your Wi Fi Stick to the basics. These days, we're more efficient. And oh, just where to get it Feeling dead, feeling dead
0: Yeah, bro. The internet. Whoa, there we go. The internet, the internet, the internet, the internet. I like that. You know, that's you singing, playing, producing. What,
2: what did you do on that? I did yeah. I did everything on that. My my boy mixed it. I did an original mix um a few years ago. That song has a long story. But uh yeah, I I uh performed, produced, wrote, did the whole thing. Wow, that's crazy.
3: Man, I have to I have to commend you on how you know we've been talking about math for the majority of this interview, and that's we haven't even touched on like how incredible of a musician you are. <laughs> oh man, thank you, bro. <laughs> Yeah, that's phenomenal. I mean, like yeah. you know, because it's like you know, because again, it's like, bro, like with with the with the, with that tune, man. You know, not only like are you like an accomplished saxophone player, but man, you're a songwriter and a producer. Like that, those are whole yeah. different skill sets, man. That's, yeah, like, that's that's some serious stuff. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, you were singing too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I again. didn't know you could sing. Man, I'm going to hire you for
3: my bars, Yeah. <laughs> <I love it. laughs> Man, man. Could just, we could just put Marcus on salary, man. He could That's- do everything for us. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> well, I I got into all of that after college, and I when I decided I was going to be a musician, um, I was actually like I didn't know if I wanted to play the saxophone because at that time none of the girls that I liked liked music with the saxophone in it. That was like 2008, 2009. Everybody was trying to turn up. Like, crunk music was still a thing. It was a it was a late. So, you know, there was like the the Southern music was popping in RB. Neo was out um, and he's like a really great songwriter. You know, so sick of love songs. So I was like, man, this is beautiful, but there's no saxophone in any of this. And meanwhile, I go to, you know, jazz clubs in New York City. And at that time, there would be no women. It'd be like a lot of like broke, judgmental musicians in these spots. What? And it's changed over time. Yeah, man, back in that time, you would go down to the hang and it was like, it wasn't like now the tourist vibe, or before Corona, the tourist vibe started popping, and it became like a really hit place. But I remember in that era when I'd go down, the clubs would be kind of empty. It might be older people, or it'd be a lot of musicians, and they'd be vibey. Hmm. And I'd be like, "Well, I don't. That's not really why. What, what? What else is going on?" And then looking at when when I started and did a little bit of research, I saw that well, if you a songwriter or producer, you know. You might just wake up and a check will hit you in the head for, for like a hundred grand. Like maybe I need to go on that route. And so I interned at a studio when I when I first uh, left uh, the hedge fund and moved back to New York City from Connecticut. Um, my first play was to intern at a studio and I studied uh, mixing and engineering and production under this man named Basie Bob Brockman. And Bob Brockman is a legend. He uh, mixed Ready to Die. He mixed all the records for the Fugees. Um, he did all this stuff. And uh, and what I got from him was at the time, you know, before that I was kind of a jazz snob. I was a jazz snob, and I liked all the stuff that we liked as kids in Jersey. But I was like, man, jazz is the ultimate music. It's really nothing else. Like, if you're trying to be deep with music, it's nothing else to get into. And when I studied under him, I realized that was like super wrong. And like all the nuances. Okay, cool. Well, how do you how do you compress? How do you produce? How do you make a composition with a single idea? You know, work for you know three minutes, four minutes. Um, <clears throat> And he had me, you know, uh, I I did, I assisted on like death metal projects. I assisted, um, there was this crazy project. This guy brought in George Clinton and Sly Stone to the studio to just record on some beat that he made. And I guess he had enough money to make it happen. So like, you know, I I was assisting for stuff like that. Um, Serrani came through, it's Serrani, just in case you never know, that guy, you know, he came through to the studio and I was just like, and I had to sit and be like super humble because I wasn't a bad motherfucker anymore. Like, (laughs) like I was like on basic. And and that kind of opened me up to all the other things that were possible with music. And from there, I got into developing the skill sets of writing songs and learning how to produce and understanding frequencies and, you know, playing with DAWs. And it kind of also gave me the mindset of, you know, how do you how do I maintain my uniqueness when I come to New York City and everybody here is killing well I can really just dig into the fact that I can just dig into music that I like and have it be from anywhere and I'm just gonna learn that maybe what's killing right now is to listen to this cat on the scene or to try and sound like this at the time when I was uh, at that time like every alto player was trying to sound like Kenny Garrett and I was like maybe maybe that's the way to get cool in one way but like I'm gonna go dig into you know okay cool I like this death metal I like uh what's it called um Slipknot had a version of King of Pain uh, no it wasn't Slipknot it's somebody else they had a Sting King of Pain um there's a little black spot on the sun today that vibe and I'm like yo I'm gonna get into this and I'm gonna learn it and I picked up a a bass because I really like the bass I heard Oscar Austin play on uh Big time, Rick James. And that that made me love the bass. I was just like, man, what is this sound? So I like got a, got the bass and like started working on all this stuff. Um, so that's really where where that developing that kind of skill set came from. Okay.
0: Yeah, that's crazy, man. Unfortunately, Marcus, we need to have a whole nother show for all the stuff that you can do, man. You Can you build stuff too? Uh, I haven't done
3: a lot of that. Oh, I can good, figure it out though. Good. Oh. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Go ahead. Yo, I'm I'm eagerly awaiting your autobiography, man. Like, I mean, I love like again how this this whole this whole st- this whole conversation started with the value of, of math and music, and and it's crazy to to see how. This is like translating to so many aspects of your life, man. You know, you're yeah. a very accomplished person. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Thank well, you. Marcus, before we go, man, I want to give you an opportunity to tell all the people where they can uh first listen to your podcast and then anything else you want them to uh buy, link to,
2: check out, sure. DM you, all of that. Sure. Uh so you can find me. My my unified social media handle is Imagine with Marcus. You can find me on IG at Imagine with Marcus. Um You can, uh, my website, imaginewithmarcus.com. Look up Marcus Miller, Elu for the TED Talk. Look up Marcus Miller, Beauty of Math and Music for the TEDx Talk. Um, I have an article in Scientific American. The internet is, this is a sneak preview. So we haven't, I haven't released that yet. Um, You can also find some more of my writing. I I did a a little bit of writing um, in uh, prison magazine around some of the protests. And I also, you know, have some writing that's on my website. Uh, there's, there's going to be some more of that coming up uh, the podcast is called the poolside polymath podcast. Um, that's on anchor, Spotify. It's on all your favorite, wherever you listen to podcasts, that's where that's at. And, um, and, and I think that's it. Everything you kind of find my website, imaginwithmarcus.com. Perfect. Perfect, man.
0: Marcus, man, thank you so much for coming on man. the working
2: artist project. Bro. We appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me, man. It was such a fun time. Absolutely.